Welcome to Social Media Blues, a podcast for those who struggle with social media but can't afford to get out of it. I am your hostess, Elsa Figueroa, and this is today's episode. Hi, welcome back to Social Media Blues. I hope that you are doing well. It is the top of July, and I'm feeling actually pretty excited about the summer, even though... <laughs> Technically, it's pretty much summer all year round here, but but there's something special about the summer months, um, even though I'm in Puerto Rico near the equator, where really that doesn't really make a huge difference. It's hotter, definitely. But I don't know, uh, people are in a beach mood, things are, are getting a little bit more relaxed, so um, I, I enjoy the vibe. Um, I remain very concerned, of course, about the pandemic, which seems to be growing at an alarming rate in the United States. Um, they've imposed stricter measures for people arriving here um, through the airport. So I'm not sure what whether that's going to be highly effective. Apparently, they're pretty rigorous, but at the same time, the tourism industry is feeling optimistic about its numbers, about the economy during this month. So I'm not sure how those two things can work together because on the one hand, the tourism industry is expecting a lot of business. And on the other hand, they're expecting to continue to control the spread of the virus. So I'm not sure like those two things don't seem to work very well together. So we'll see how this all plays out. But definitely, I think it is pretty safe to go to the beach, even if you know, you maintain your distance from other people. And certainly if you're aware of beaches that tend to not be as crowded, I normally avoid crowded beaches anyway. So um, if I do go, I will definitely be um, staying the heck away from other people. <laughs> I haven't been going out a lot. Um, I go out to do groceries, to make purchases, um, to run errands, and I always keep my safe distance from other people. I wear my mask, I use um, hand hygiene, so I'm, I'm trying to stay as safe as possible. I'm gonna be starting to reopen the studio, but since we handle a very small number of people, together at the same time, um, it should be pretty safe. So I'm not too worried about that. Okay, so trying to drink my coffee out of a thermos and it's not working very well. All right, so, okay. <laughs> so it's been quite difficult for me to grapple with what I wanted to say for the past couple of months. Um, I've been sitting in reflection study and observation, attempting to tease out the mess of emotions and thoughts inside me to articulate what I want to say. Um, I have been having a lot of thoughts and emotions around social media and everything that is happening right now in the United States and around the world, but particularly in the United States um, regarding the pandemic, but also regarding um, this new social justice um, wave of uh, support for Black Lives Matter. 
Um, and I have to admit that I am very conflicted. It has been a hard time. I have seen a lot of activism on social media following the murder of George Floyd. And though I have participated in it, I have felt very conflicted. Like I said, I have watched with weary hope and, and mild frustration. Um, as acquaintances who had previously balked at any talk of race or privilege were suddenly sharing memes, infographics, and calls to action related to social to racial justice. And so began my slow descent into despair and grief. <laughs> and this is not the response that I would have expected of myself. I would have expected optimism which is the reason why it has been so hard to grapple with all of these emotions. The truth is that whenever I see white people on social media feeds talking about racial justice, um, when a prominent event occurs, an alarm goes off in my head. Um, these outward shows of support trigger in me mistrust and frustration, weariness, sadness, and also guilt. Frustration because I am taking back to a time when I have tried to speak out about the lack of diversity in certain spaces and about racial inequality and privilege, but felt I was dismissed with heavy, awkward, uncomfortable silence. Um, weariness because I don't readily trust. Guilt because I should be feeling glad, right? And so my, in my inability to optimistically support all these shows of concern for black people and people of color, I have remained silent a lot. And it is a self-protective type of silence. It is a silence that I have learned and rehearsed and perfected my entire life. I learned to quell my tears at a very young age when I learned crying was not an acceptable form of communication. I learned to choke back tears of frustration in the face of injustice because when I asked for help, it almost always backfired. I was dismissed, derided, or mocked. I learned that I shouldn't be so sensitive, quote unquote, that I needed to toughen up. I was dismissed and passed up by teachers. I learned to overachieve and to display ability in order to stand out and have any type of chance of excelling in life. I am learning now that these were sort of coping mechanisms or strategies for feeling erased or unheard or invisible. When I began speaking up about the lack of racial diversity, specifically in my belly dance scene in the San Francisco Bay Area, one of the most diverse places of the country, I was met with, again, awkward, uncomfortable silences from peers and offered platitudes that felt like attempts at diffusing my frustration. Oh, you just have to work on yourself. Oh, you just have to market yourself well. Um, you just have to, to do it for yourself. Do it for you. Don't worry about those people. And nobody seemed willing to discuss with very few exceptions. I, for example, my one of my very best friends um definitely we talked about these issues at length but um most other people especially people who had some sort of power to do something about it um were not willing to talk about it 
So I began to practice silence and I shut up. Last year, um, specifically in the belly dance community, uh, when a prominent Russian belly dancer was called out for practicing what amounted to blackface, I saw the conversation around diversity, inclusion, and allyship flare up on my Facebook feed. I saw many people who have previously had power to produce inclusive, racially diverse shows speak out against this behavior. I saw people call each other out, long-time friendships destroyed over comments on Facebook. It was all too dizzying and confusing to process and felt extremely toxic at the time. That occurrence from last October would be a precursor to the conversation today and part of this is so hurtful to me personally because it brings me back to all the grief and pain that I felt when I was in San Francisco. My experiences when I, in the San Francisco Bay Area are not just related to my experiences in the belly dance community, although those heavily impacted my feelings, but just my, my general experiences over the, the course of eight years in California, all the disparities that I, that I witnessed. Um, and and I, I have felt, I have had to deal with a lot of grief um, around uh, living in the Bay Area and living the Bay Area and coming back to my country. Um, there's been a, a huge process of grief and a lot of con internal conflict and turmoil. And every time these conversations happen, it just kind of triggers those old wounds. I don't know about you, but my Facebook feed is a hodgepodge of acquaintances. Old classmates and work colleagues, friends, family and peers. I opened my Facebook account in 2006 and have left it pretty intact since then. Sure, I've gone through my share of purges and name changes and whatnot, but I have never started a new separate account to attempt to segment um, my, my populations, my communities on Facebook. My account is public because I want people to find me and see that I am a belly dancer and a language professional. I guess it's kind of a little bit of a marketing strategy, but it's, it's, it's complicated, right? I suppose I could go through the trouble of purging my feed of, or my accounts, of changing my privacy settings, of tweaking and curating my image, but that's pretty exhausting work. And at the end of the day, the algorithm will do what it will do. And what it will do is not information. Uh, I am particularly privy to unless I sit down to sift through statistics. I just don't care that much. I understand the theory in a general sense, the, the theory of how the algorithm sort of works, although nobody fully understands it because it's a like, secret sauce. Um, and to acquire any form of mastery, I will have to cross over into territory I'm not particularly interested in exploring. So I have better things to do with my time and mental resources and most of the resources that I have for um, acquiring some sort of control over who sees what I post, etc. And what I post, I am devoting mostly to my studio. So I don't have a lot of energy 
mental space left over to do that with my own Facebook feed. And so my feed remains a melange of groups and communities and voices, and these all rise in a cacophony of ideas, desires, beliefs, and events. My particular feed, just like your particular feed, is like a snowflake um, in that it is just unique to you, right? Sure, there are patterns that are common to most of us, but what we are exposed to on our feeds varies wildly based on whom we follow, our patterns of interaction with the content, how often we log onto the platform, how much we post, what we post about, what we click on. I used to refer to my Facebook feed as a community, or I used to think about it as a community because it's a platform. Um, I'm, I'm on my own page, and so the people that I'm friends with or who follow me and that I follow are a community of sorts. But after much reflection and experiencing disappointment, I've begun to conclude that thinking of that as a community is not very helpful. This is a random assortment of people that I am connected to on this platform, and that does not amount to a community. For a long time, I have felt very unsatisfied with my interactions on Facebook. They elicit in me a sense of trepidation and fear because they feel so heartbreakingly one-sided. I will read an inspiring post by someone telling their story and feel moved and excited about their sharing. And so often I find myself yearning to continue that conversation, to want to ask that person uh, more about what they've experienced, to share my experiences as well or share my thoughts. But ultimately, Facebook is not a great space to do that. Um, I feel very limited by the tools of my disposal. I can leave a comment and perhaps someone will reply, but it is more likely that no one will read your comment, especially on a long post that has a gazillion comments. You can privately message the poster and perhaps they will reply and continue the conversation with you privately but it is more likely that they will respond with an emoji and leave it at that. That's happened to me many times. Thus, a billion conversations are started, but never truly held. I don't think there is a Facebook solution to this. I think the only solution is to stop looking for Facebook solutions, to figure out how to have conversations outside of this platform with its limited tools and features that only foster connection on the surface, but more often than not foster disconnection. I want to check back in with the peers with whom I have previously held these conversations about inclusivity and race, but even though they are there on Facebook, really, at the reach of my keyboard, they feel far away because when I try to reach out to them personally, they remain out of reach for the most part. Facebook is not my community. There are too many people spread out over diverse backgrounds divided by the algorithm. You could say I am the nexus that connects them. If I post something, I might get someone from my family 
then someone from my interpreting community and someone from my dance community to see my post and comment on it. And so they are united by me. But I am only one tiny node in a vast interconnected web of voices, all speaking at the same time. What you get to hear is determined by an algorithm not developed in a vacuum, but rather infused to the biases, interests, and agendas of its creator. I don't know that this needs to be said, but yes, I am staunchly against any form of racism and imperialism. My country, Puerto Rico, has been a colony for over 400 years. When you grow up in a colony, you absorb all sorts of imperialistic messaging about your inferiority and the superiority of your colonizer. I am a curvy woman of color from a low socioeconomic background. And I also worked as a Spanish interpreter in California. So I worked in low-income clinics, public housing buildings, public schools, and I also got to work in Silicon Valley conference rooms. I spent a lot of time in dance studios across the Bay Area, including Laney Community College with its majority African-American population and dance spaces in Berkeley, Oakland, and San Francisco. I saw witnessed, felt the contrast. I saw my white belly dance peers rise through opportunities that I was never afforded. When I was started doing dance research about the history of my dance, my eyes were opened to the pattern of exclusion of black and brown voices from the stages across its entire history. I began to actively look for black belly dancers to diversify my Instagram feed at a time when I was hurting because I felt excluded and frankly gaslighted when I tried to speak about these concerns and badly needed role models to make me feel like there was a space for me in this dance. Back when Trayvon Martin was murdered, back when Ahmed Arbery was murdered, I waited patiently for the current explosion of wokeness. Surely now white people in the U.S. will see what the rest of us see and feel. It didn't happen. And when I saw Trump win after all, when I saw black, a black person being murdered and it being recorded somehow and be, it being openly spoken about, um, and people just kind of feeling, well, well, um, that's too bad and just going on with business as usual. All of those things began to erode my hope and I'm sure it has eroded, these events have eroded the hope of many, many people in the United States. My hope for achieving any sort of status in my belly dance community also began to erode. I began to manage my expectations and my aspirations drastically. I left California behind, I moved back to my country, focused on my immediate community, and that has proved so much more rewarding. Something about George Floyd's murder finally ignited the fire, and I am glad for that. I am so glad. Um, because the upheavals and the protests are not something that people can turn a blind eye to much longer, and I am glad for that. But I am also cautious. I'm cautious about the conversations I see being held on social media because I'm afraid people will become further divided and burnt out 
I am seeing it already. I feel incredibly conflicted about criticizing this process though. I am not advocating for remaining silent about known injustices in your media community. I'm not advocating for that. I think we need to do that work. But I am crying out to also hold spaces where we can have more productive conversations and connections with each other, where we can all talk about our concerns, develop strategies together, and begin to heal. I'm not sure that Facebook is the forum for that. I'm open to those discussions, so if you are, you know where to find me. You can email me at socialmediablues at gmail.com and you can also find me on Instagram at socialmediablues. This has been all for today. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of the week and I will talk to you soon. Bye.